The football season is here, and you can track the latest news, odds, and information at betonline.net. And while stadiums won't be full, game action will be loaded. Which players will step up to lead their team? Is there still a home field advantage? Will offense or defense dominate these early weeks of the season? Follow along at betonline.net as the top teams in football begin their journey to Tampa. Available online or your mobile device. Check out the site today. Bring the game home at betonline.net. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the third episode of Gym Class All-Stars, the podcast where two former rec athletes share our opinions on sports. Whether or not we're qualified to give those opinions is still up for debate. We're your hosts, Alex and Robbie, and let's get right down to it. A lot of news in the world of sports this week. We're going to start with the NFL. Games will be starting up again on Thursday. Preseason game, Chiefs and the Texans. How excited are we for football to be coming back? So happy football's back. I've been missing it. I'm glad they're taking precautions, all healthy, and it seems like they're all geared up to play. So fingers crossed that nothing happens in the next, uh, what, six days? Yeah. Yeah, no, hoping, hoping for the best and that the season can go on as planned. A couple, couple big, big roster moves in the world of football. Um, first off, the Jacksonville Jaguars cut ties with former fourth overall pick Leonard Fournette in favor of what seems to be a full-on rebuild. And Leonard Fournette goes to see what seems to be the free agent hotspot of the summer, Tampa Bay, to join Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski on that new high-powered Tampa Bay offense. Um, is, this, is this the right move for Jacksonville to get rid of a young guy this quickly in his career? I think they're tanking. I don't know what's going on with Jacksonville. But for Super Bowl 52, they were a few – coaching decisions away from making the Super Bowl. They had a stacked roster, all young, great core. And, you know, they lost, but the future looked bright, and now everyone's gone. Jalen Ramsey's been gone. Leonard Fournette's gone. Uh, their defensive tackle is now on the Vikings. They just have Malik Jackson's and the Eagles. There's a ton of people that just got rid of in favor of whether it was cap restitute or just more draft picks. I don't know. I think they're tanking. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they kind of blew up their roster with that uh, Jamarius Ramsey trade during the year, and then everything since then has just been in the favor of what seems to be a rebuild. So hopefully the guys in charge uh, out in Jacksonville know what they're doing. What do you For, think about the Bucks? Yeah, that's, what, that's actually what I was going to bring up next. The Buccaneers look crazy right now. Like, and I don't know if crazy is a good thing necessarily, but you have end of his career Tom Brady, who we still have to assume is a very good you know, option at court. Gronkowski, because of how healthy he is, he's a big target and somebody who can work with Tom Brady. And then they just have a plethora of running backs and receivers. For, for the receivers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are probably two of the best, you know, duos you can have in the league. And then the running back trio of Ronald Jones, LaShawn McCoy, and now Leonard Fournette seemingly spearheading that, that is a scary offense at the very least on paper. I could maybe start to see the world where Tampa Bay makes their, their first playoff push in a little while. Their roster looks phenomenal on paper. And that's what's sort of intriguing about it, where Tom, like you said, Tom Brady, Gronkowski, all the running backs, they have a pretty good defense already. Bruce Arians seems like a very competent coach. It is going to be interesting though. I don't know if they'll, they're either going to do real well. And I think make a, Super Bowl push, or they're going to kind of fizzle out and 
could that be the end of Tom Brady as we know it, as this elite quarterback? Like, could this be the year? Is it yeah, the cliff no, time? Is it the cliff? All, we've all been waiting for it. Some of us been praying for it. But it, yeah, is this is this that moment? Is this the the end of the goat, uh, for lack of a better term? But we. I don't hate I, Tom Brady. I just hate Boston and Boston fans. It's a so I hated Tom Brady because of that. Yeah, no, I think I could jump on that bandwagon. Um, another running back, key running back, a little further in his career, was also let go very recently. Adrian Peterson was let go by the Washington football team. They have some young guys, but some young guys that haven't been able to stay on the field. Losing, you know, getting rid of a piece like Adrian Peterson, do you think that's going to end up hurting them in the long run? Uh, well, I think this year they're going to just kind of tank. I don't think with the culture, the way it seems like everything's going there, this year should probably be a disaster year or at least a chance to get another draft pick, another key player. If they do better than 6-10, and 10, this year's a success for them just from a football perspective. But I think Adrian Peterson, he's getting older. They want to free up some cap space, kind of move on from him, maybe develop some young guys. But I was looking. They don't really have – they had Darius uh, Goose or whoever. Geis. Geis. He was good until he you know, got released for legitimate criminal reasons. It's interesting to see who they have. They have like J.D. McCarrick, who was a backup for the Lions. They have a few other pieces, but I don't see any pizzazz out of their running back core now. Maybe there is a gem, though. Who knows? Yeah, I think the hope is that they know more than we do. Um, but I think priority number one for the Washington football team for this season should just be having a real name for next year. And then anything Fair moving enough. forward is, is just extra added bonus. Yeah, I, I think above 6-10 and 10 would be a storybook ending for that team. Honestly, good catch with the Washington football team. We were goofing last episode. Times are changing. We got to adapt. <laughs> um, moving through the world of sports, on to the MLB. About halfway through the season now. Um, some stuff starting to pick up a little bit. The Phillies, our team, have won Woo! nine of their last ten and are now second place in their division. Is, is it time? Is it 12 more 12 straight years of the playoffs? Is that how this is going? That works? Their core looks great. They look like they're enjoying themselves. Their rookie, Alec uh, Bohm or Baum, he's, he looks pretty good. He had the sack fly to win yesterday. He brought in JT Realmoto. So everything looks good. The big question for the Phillies specifically is their bullpen. Their bullpen is a dumpster fire, to put it nicely. They're getting better. They made some moves. They got a reliever from uh, Boston. It's going to be interesting, though. I'm very optimistic for the Phillies. They look good offensively uh, on the pitching side. Jerry's still on that. Yeah, yeah, well, always room for improvement, but red hot right now. Bryce Harper's loving it. Philly fans are loving it. Um, Another big news from a marquee uh, MLB player, Clayton Kershaw became the third uh, youngest player to reach 2,500 strikeouts, which is now 39th all time. The man still got some left. Uh, When it's all said and done, will Clayton Kershaw maybe be the best pitcher of all time? I think he needs a chip first. And the sad part is we, well, I'd say the whole sports community as a whole really went after Kershaw for his inability to finish games specifically in the world series and his inability to do well and be as efficient in the postseason as he was in the regular season. But we failed to forget or we tend to forget that he played the Houston Astros who may have stole one, two, or maybe a lot of his pitches and kind of knew what was happening. So 
I want to give Kershaw the benefit of the doubt that Dodgers are 29-10, best record in baseball thus far. Let's see how he does this postseason. I think people will know if sign stealing is going on, considering it's empty stadiums and you can hear a trash can from a mile away. I like Kershaw. I really hope he gets the respect he deserves. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. Let's hope he gets a little more respect for his postseason performances. Amen. Yeah, postseason performances go a long, long way when you're talking about the best of all time. And Clayton Kershaw is certainly up there. But, yeah, I think a good playoff run could only help him. Uh, moving in to more postseason talk for the NHL, this is kind of crazy to me. So one series in the second round of the playoffs has completed. The uh, Lightning beat the Boston Bruins. Thank you Let's go, baby! Four games to one. That series ended in five. <laughs> but the other three series are dead locked at three games apiece. That means three game sevens in the second round of the NHL playoffs. The Knights and the Canucks, the Avalanche and the Stars, and your Philadelphia Flyers and New York Islanders. I believe the Flyers won in an overtime bout to force game seven. What's, what's the mindset here for these guys trying to, trying to advance and keep fighting? Before I get into that, besides, well, first of all, shout out to the Bruins. They're done. Goodbye. Amen. Don't have to deal with any more Boston euphoria, except for the Celtics. We'll deal with that later. The, all three of those other semifinal games – they were all 3-1. The Islanders were up 3-1. The Golden Knights were up 3-1. And I believe the Dallas Stars were up 3-1. All of those games are now in a game seven. We talk a lot about people blowing 3-1 leads in basketball. This could happen to three different teams in the same year, in the same round, too. The Flyers yesterday, I thought it was – I was very pessimistic – they were down 4-3 in the third period. When the Flyers are down, usually they don't uh, do too well. Usually they're better at blowing leads and then picking that back up and winning in overtime. They tied it up in the third period, tied it at the end of the first overtime, and then they buried a shot and a se- near the end of the second overtime to win. I am looking forward to Game 7 on Saturday. Hockey is electric. I know we don't talk about it as much as we should, but hockey is a ton of fun to watch. And if you're not watching playoff hockey, go watch it. You have three game sevens in the short span of each other. Go check it out. Exactly. If you are a fan of sports, you have to at least be able to appreciate that what could be this momentous occasion of three teams coming back from down 3-1 to win their series. Definitely be, uh, we'll be keeping tabs on those games and as the playoffs progress. Uh, but to you, good luck to the Flyers. Hope they do Thank well you. for you. All right. Now, we have a million stories to talk about in the NBA, so let's dig in. We're going to start with one that bothered me a lot. Brandon Ingram was named the most improved player in the NBA season. Before I give this over to you, I just want to say my piece. I'm a huge Heat fan, so it is very hard for me to remain unbiased towards thinking that Bam Adebayo should be the most improved player. But when I think about the most improved player, it needs to be not just a player who individually started recording better statistics. It needs to be somebody who starts really helping the team succeed. And where Brandon Ingram became a 25-point-per-game scorer, a first-time All-Star, and what was very clearly the best player on a team that made the bubble, the Pelicans did not actually have a large amount of success this year. They were just kind of surrounded by this hype of a lot of young players having just traded Anthony Davis. And... When I think of a situation that Brandon, like what Brandon Ingram's in, I think about Michael Carter Williams, his first year in the Philadelphia 76ers. That roster was so lackluster that just somebody 
had to put up statistics for them to just be able to qualify for basketball games. That player was Michael Carter Williams, who ended up winning the rookie of the year, uh, but put up what were by far career high in most of his statistical, you know, statistical averages. Michael Carter Williams nowadays is a, a maybe backup or third string point guard. He doesn't play a whole lot. I'm not saying Brandon all on that level, but Michael Carter Williams only had success because he had to. I am afraid that Brandon Ingram only had the success he had because he was the only true, really good player on the, on the New Orleans Pelicans. But then when I look at Bam Adebayo, you have to look at the fact that, you know, a lot of his stat increases are because of the minutes played, extra minutes. You know, he became a starter this year. But defensively, I mean, that guy can actually guard one through five. That guy could guard all of the other candidates up for most improved player. The fact that he didn't win just doesn't make sense to me based off what I value in a basketball player. That is my piece. And now I'd like to ask your thoughts on this one. I'm also upset, Robbie. Aaron Baines wasn't even nominated and he deserved it. This was, uh, to anyone listening, this was a joke I had with a friend of mine who asked me who I thought the most improved player should be back in probably December. And I first thought that came to my head was Aaron Baines because he was shooting better from three and scoring more points than he was doing for the Celtics. Aaron Baines, if you're listening, you deserve the most improved player. It's not even close. But going back to the actual winner, Brandon Ingram, I think there's a bit of bias with you, and we all have it for our sports teams and our fair players. Bam's improvement, 100%, has been lessened just by the fact that he has so many good players on his team. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Harrow, et cetera, et cetera. That roster is deep as can be. I think Brandon Ingram, though, going from 21 points a game to 24, 25 points a game, better shooting, looking like a closer. I think they gave the most improved player to him because of the fact that he went from being sort of a, a role, not a role player, but a starter to an all-star and more of a closer. He took that jump that a lot of players never get the chance to make. I'm not saying Bam isn't an all-star. He's not a starter. Bam went from playing less minutes. He was at a time a reserve, and he has improved dramatically. He is by far the best defender on the list of people, whether it's better than Luka Doncic, whether it's better than Brandon Ingram, or you can keep going down the list. Bam can guard one through five, but – I think Brandon Ingram's value will become more apparent as years progress. And I mean, it wasn't the MVP. It was just the most improved player. Maybe they thought Bam was already pretty good. Maybe it's a flex to you. Fair, very fair. You know, the, the way I, I'm thinking about this, my little brother told me that the most improved player isn't actually that important of a word because Ryan Anderson won it one time. Hey, hey, <laughs> leave him alone. Uh, but I, I do want to say congratulations to Brandon Ingram. He had a fantastic season. I'm not saying he's undeserving of this award. Um, but kudos to him on, on going out and getting it. And another award was given out in the last day or so. John Morant, who actually finished one vote shy of being the unanimous uh, rookie of the year. And I want to bring this real quick back to last week when we argued uh, who second place in the rookie of the year voting would end up being. So Kendrick Nunn did by point total finish second place, but Zion Williamson was the other player who received a first place vote. He had the only other one. What are your thoughts? By default, Zion should be second now in the argument. <laughs> all right. All right. I think we can leave that one up to the listeners. But <laughs> John Morant, well-deserving of that. 
award. I think the results spoke for themselves, kind of what we were talking about. I think Zion's impact, very important to the team, but Kendrick Nunn sort of played more games, well, did play more games, scored a surprising amount of points, and really did do more than expected, especially as a rookie. So I think the results are fair, and I agree with them, begrudgingly, of course. Yeah, no, no, no real complaints for the most part here. Congratulations to all three of those players on fantastic seasons, but uh, specifically to John Morant for coming up with that award. Uh, moving on, don't know how you're going to feel about this one, but the, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers fired head coach Brett Brown after uh, getting swept in the playoffs this year. I, I hear a lot of buzz around Sixers fans are relatively, you know, feeling all right about this. You know, they, they're ready for change. As a Sixers fan, what are you expecting? Who do you maybe want to see coming into this role? Well, it was time for Brett Brown to leave. He did very well with player developments. I think they need a different coach, or at least a change of scenery to see if they can take the next step. From what I have heard, well, Jay Wright is out for the head coaching job. He said, I don't want it. The Villanova head coach, for anyone who doesn't know. Ty Lue seems to be the name that they want to pick. When I first heard that, I don't really like Ty Lue or the idea of him. But after listening, I listened to Kevin Love do an interview about what he thought about Ty Lue and his years with the Cavs. It seems like Ty Lue really doesn't care about the regular season, which is fine. He just wants to make it to the playoffs. And then when he gets to the playoffs, he's pretty good at winning games, coming up with schemes that work. And I think when you look back, he had LeBron and Kyrie on the same team and was able to navigate both their personalities to a great amount of success, whether it was uh, four finals appearances and one championship. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Kevin Love and a few other players, J.R. Smith, who have different personalities and he had to kind of make them mesh. If they hire Ty Lue, I will give him the benefit of doubts. Anyone they hire, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I really do want to see who they hire. I think there are a lot of good candidates. So we'll see. I mean, the Nets, for example, hired Steve Nash yesterday, kind of out of left field. What do you think about that? that that's, a, that's some big news. First, I do want to really quick state that I believe if the Sixers do hire, hire Tyron Lue, he would be the first player in NBA history to be stepped over by a franchise and then hired as their head coach later on. Too soon. Uh, but going back to Steve Nash, I so I'm intrigued because there was a lot of like it sparked a lot of debate, uh, some about you know racial things uh, in the media about hiring Steve Nash. But my, my thoughts on Steve Nash are this: I always think point guards are the best coaches. It, it doesn't matter who they are, but the point guard has to understand the game in a very different way than the rest of the positions do because the point guard not just under has to understand what the play they're running is supposed to do, but how it can fall apart and still work for you, you know, for your benefit. Steve Nash is one of the best point guards of all time. He's a two-time MVP. He's a top five assist, uh, assist man of all time. So if you're talking about a team that's going to already have good ball movement with two perennial all-stars and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, as long as they're both healthy to play, um, I, I think Steve Nash could absolutely meld very, very well because he is, as I said, a ball handling, you know, a ball movement minded type player. And when you have perimeter players like that, that is already three steps in the door for success. I can't really see a world where, where Steve Nash doesn't work out unless they just, you know, he doesn't mesh with the personalities of the players. Well, he was also Kevin Durant's player development coach in Golden State or to some capacity was working with KD 
when he was in California. And I really think that Kevin Durant was consulted on who he wanted as a coach. I'm curious to see how he does dealing with Kyrie just from the perspective that Steve Nash is a pretty mellow and level-headed individual. I mean, he did have to deal with the Lakers with, uh, it was Dwight, Kobe, Powell and all that. That was kind of a mess. It'll be very intriguing to see what he does with Kyrie. I have nothing but respect for Steve Nash, one of the 50, 40, 90 club members too. The guy was a stud when he played Hall of Famer. I wish him nothing but success unless it's against the Sixers. But I think he'll be good. It's just how does he mesh KD and Kyrie together? That's what I'm intrigued about. And I don't know if any coach can really do that well. Yeah, no, that, that's been the tough one, it seems like, especially with Kyrie, sometimes seen as a bad locker room president. president some. So we'll see if someone like Steve Nash can kind of call that or, or use Kyrie in the form of a leader, because I think that's the role Kyrie wants to be seen as. Um, and hopefully Steve Nash can help uh, bring that out in him. But no head coaching experience before for Steve Nash. So it's another one of those experiments. We've seen it before with Jason Kidd and a couple other players right after retirement. So uh, good luck to the Nets, though. We'll see how it goes. But before we get into the whole idea of the playoffs, Really quick, we wanted to mention the, uh, the upcoming NBA draft. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves have the number one overall pick and have recently, uh, some, some players in their camp have recently stated that Anthony Edwards is most likely who they're going to be picking. Uh, any shock there to you, or is, is Edwards the clear-cut guy to go for them? Based off what we've seen this year, Edwards would probably be the guy I'd go with. And the Timberwolves need guards. They have D'Lo. They also have Cat, and they have a few other forwards. So they might as well draft a shooting guard in Anthony Edwards. They don't need LaMelo Ball because they have a pretty solid point guard in D'Lo. They don't need Wiseman because he kind of does what Cat does. I think that's the safe pick unless they trade it. I would go with Anthony Edwards, number one. I have actually had the chance to see him play. He's explosive. He looks like an NBA player. I think he'll be a worthwhile pick. I don't know if he'll be the best player in the draft, but that's because this draft is just so up in the air. Yeah, very interesting year uh, for the draft. Uh, this, the, some of the other players, the notable players, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Isaac Okoro, Obi Topin. Of the, of the other teams that have these top picks, Bulls, Warriors, Hornets, who do you think would, would fit best in, in a specific system? Uh, maybe, maybe someone like Wiseman and the Warriors, you know, they're lacking a big man, something like that. Wiseman with the Warriors, I would say, is probably the best fit right off the bat. Number three is the Hornets. I think LaMelo Ball could fit in with the Hornets if they want to move on from Terry Rozier. That's an intriguing prospect. Who's four? I believe Chicago Bulls are number four. Well, they have Thomas Sadoransky, who's the GOAT there, apparently, according to my friends. So let's just avoid they got uh, little. They got a little stony boy, Kobe White. Kobe White, yeah. I forgot about him, too. After that, it sort of breaks down. I think picks four through ten – are going to kind of just be like shooting fish in a barrel. You're just going to kind of hope for the best when you do it. I really don't know who's going to be a gem this draft, but I really think some of the later picks could be absolute gems and absolute steals. So that's going to be kind of a really cool dynamic with this year's draft. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this is one of those years that we're going to see like the, the 60th pick in the, the draft, maybe being the second or third best player. And I, that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> So moving into the playoffs, before we start talking about the games, though, I got to shout you out. Uh, listening to last week's episode, you very specifically stated that if the Denver Nuggets were going to force game seven, that it was going to be Jamal Murray's fault. And you are absolutely correct. Jamal Murray in game six scored 50 points to force game seven. And the Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets, 
became the third team in NBA history to come back from being down three games to one in the NBA playoffs and end up winning the series. Uh, so I just want to shout you out. Well done on that pick. I actually had the Jazz winning in seven, so <laughs> that one was You're tough. You're close. You were a Mike Conley three away, and that yeah. was very close. Had a heart attack halfway through. But moving on. Yeah, no, moving on. So uh, real quick, just to, to go over who will be playing in the next round. So the Lakers and the Rockets will be playing game one of their series tonight. Uh, the West took a little bit longer than the East to start. Uh, the Clippers won game one against the Nuggets. Last night in their series, the Miami Heat, the big surprise of the playoffs so far, up two games to none over the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Boston Celtics up two games to one over the Toronto Raptors. We will get more into these series uh, as we progress, uh, progress, but we have some other individual news pieces we want to get through first and start with what be the last ever playoff matchup between LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony, two guys that have been, they've had their careers intertwined since the very beginning, you know, played against each other in high school. Drafted in the same year, both top three. How awesome was it to see not just them play in a game, you know, a final playoff game, but have Melo and LeBron both really be the top two players on their team during that game? It was dope, to say the least. You and I both grew up with Melo and LeBron. Those two guys were arguably the best players in the league. You can throw Tim Duncan in there. There's Kobe Bryant as well. But that matchup was very intriguing because they're both same draft class. There was always a chance they'd go at each other if they made it to the finals. I hope it's not the end. Like, I hope Melo keeps playing, and I hope teams pick him up. But it definitely could be the end for playoff contention. We'll see. Depends where Melo goes, and I think LeBron will stay at the Lakers. If it was their last match in the playoffs, it was a pretty good send-off. I think Melo played as well as he could with the role he was in. I think LeBron played – exceptionally well in the elimination game and throughout the series too is very important. So if this is a send off, it's fine by me. It didn't go out with a thud. It went out with a nice bang. I would completely agree. I believe not only did we get to see what hopefully isn't, but could have been the last, a great last matchup between them. But I think Mello went out and proved every single doubter wrong that he's done that, that he can't play in this league anymore because he, did, he went out there and he competed with LeBron James for 48 minutes. That's, that's something very few players can do. I would like to say, though, going back to my original statement, I realize I'm not saying Melo was, like, the best player in the league, but he was definitely one of those guys that you were always impressed with, always an all-star. There are people I missed, not just Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron. There's Dwayne Wade. I know that probably bugged you, Shaq. There's a ton of other people. But Melo was always one of those guys that got buckets – you know, the three to the dome celebration, one of my favorite celebrations to do when I make one out of eight three-pointers. <laughs> it's all about that, and I really do enjoy it. And I, the fact that they're in the same draft class really does mean a lot. It's that kind of rivalry because they're picked so close to each other. Yeah, picked so close, pit against each other so many times, yet still some of the best friends uh, that we see across the league. You know, congratulations to both of them on continued success throughout the rest of their careers. Um. Continuing with the playoffs, we wanted to mention, we wanted to highlight two series individually because these were two of the most entertaining first round series that we have seen in our 22 years of life so far. Uh, first, we wanted to mention the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. We want like Chris Paul and the Oklahoma City Thunder were given a 0.2% chance to make the playoffs. I don't know who came up with that stat, but they need to be fired because Chris Paul is maybe still the best player in the NBA. Shea Alexander is one of the top prospects. Steven Adams is the strongest man 
on the court every game he plays. I don't know how nobody saw this team having success, but not only did they have success, they came one possession short of a second round matchup against LeBron James. How fantastic was that series um, just to watch? It was terrible, Robbie. I had $10 riding on that game, game seven and it hurt. No, from a fan perspective, it was awesome. It was really back. All of those games were super close with the exception of game five. So they were a ton of fun to watch. The Thunder surprised me. They played super well, especially in crunch time. And they were, quite frankly, a better inbounds pass away from maybe advancing to the next round. But I'm very glad they didn't. So, oh, yeah, Northern yeah. Iowa proved how important it is to have good inbounds passing. Um, yep. But, hey, Chris Paul balled out uh, the point god, as some people refer to him, who was kind of thrown aside at the beginning of this year. Uh, do you think he wants to, is going to want to stay with Oklahoma City, or do you think this was just kind of an audition for Chris Paul to get himself a ring with somebody else, maybe? I don't see why he wouldn't stay with them unless they can get him out of his contract, because his contract's not up yet, right? No, one more year of 40-plus. Yeah, I was going to say, that contract's disgusting to take on for any team, and no team really has the cap space. I think Chris Paul will want to stay. I think the development they're doing there is quite good, and I think he's the proper amount of veteran experience, leadership, and closing power that they sort of need on that team. Be interesting though to see this off season. Yeah, no, a lot of a lot of picks in their future, a lot of young talent. Thunder may have lost in the first round, but they have a lot to look forward to. The other series that we wanted to mention, this was probably the most entertaining basketball series like that ever, maybe I don't know, but. Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Those players played for the most points in a playoff series in NBA history by game six. By, by not even having completed the series and they were already the highest scoring duo in an NBA playoff series. Was, was this what everybody hopes it is and the, the start of, of a young blossoming rivalry in the NBA? I don't know if they'll have a rivalry. I think they're both same age relatively. They're both young. They're both scorers. They're both ball-dominant players. But I don't know if they'll see each other in the playoffs again. I think Jamal Murray is on – like, he is a stud. I think he'll be an all-star very shortly if he's not already. Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz are intriguing. Donovan Mitchell well-deservedly deserves the rookie extension. That's fine. But what do you do with all those contracts? You have Mike Conley under contracts. He's pretty big, fat money contract. Bogdanovich getting some good money there. Uh, Rudy Gobert technically is up for a Supermax very shortly. And the way the Supermax works, Rudy Gobert, if he gets a five-year, is going to be making 60 at the end of his, 60 million at the end of his contract. That's insane. That is a lot of money. <laughs> that's why the Supermax is disgusting. That's a topic for another day. I don't know. I think they're going to get so cap-inflated, they're going to just start to – hemorrhage pieces they have some really good role players but I don't know how the Jazz future looks because I think their contracts are just going to really bog them down with the salary cap I don't know money can really affect the the future plans of a lot of teams especially when you you know Rudy Gobert if he doesn't get offered the super max that he could be qualifying for that's invitation to maybe go somewhere else if some other factors aren't really in your favor anymore in Utah Donovan Mitchell is going to get this rookie extension. But then after that, they don't have rights to Donovan Mitchell anymore. And it's about how much money 
Uh, does he think you're willing to offer him? And are you actually willing to offer him? And, and then, like you said, the other pieces, they have really good role players in, in Joel Ingles, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, um, Jordan Clarkson, that are really key integral parts of their roster that yeah, it's really hard to keep all of those pieces, especially when they're asking for seven to $12 million a piece. So we'll see, you know, as, as the contracts get bigger, the salary cap does also get bigger, but to keep all those pieces, you know, that's how teams fall apart. Is Let me teach you a lesson on economics. That is so wrong. <laughs> Just because salaries get bigger does not mean the salary cap goes up. It's like a percentage of their TV deals and media. Just because people are just throwing money at people like Timothy Mozgov does not mean the salary cap will go up, Robbie. It does not work like that. I just wanted to let you know. That's fair. Sorry. I guess I play a little bit too much 2K. It's okay. <laughs> I just wanted to get mad at money for no reason. No, it's okay. Stocks are down, Robbie. What's going on? I don't understand. I don't, I don't know if anybody does, Baker. I, I really no. don't. But so before we transition into our kitchen debates for this week, uh, there's a couple of names that I did want to shout out. Um, first off, Tom Seaver was a, a Hall of Fame MLB pitcher, most notably uh, for his time with the New York Mets. Cliff Robinson, a Hall of Fame NBA player, most notably uh, for his time with the Portland Trailblazers and the New Jersey Nets. Luke uh, Luke Olson coached men's basketball at the University of Arizona for 25 years. Um, John Thompson Jr coached at the University of Georgetown, won a national championship in 1984, and coached a lot of fantastic basketball players, most notably Allen Iverson and Patrick Ewing. And finally, Chadwick Boseman, who was a friend of a lot of NBA players and known for his roles in movies, such as Jackie Robinson in 42 and King T'Challa in Black Panther. Unfortunately, all of these uh, men passed away this past week. Very, very saddening to hear. Um, I was watching the pregame to game one of Bucks uh, Heat. And they were doing a tribute to John Thompson. And I don't usually listen to the words that come out of Charles Barkley's mouth because they're usually just babbling nonsense. But he said something really powerful that stuck with me. John Thompson didn't just mold great basketball players. He helped mold great men. And to me, I think that all of these guys actually did that in, in their own way, in their own right. And it's you know, very, very saddening, like I said, to hear that all these men passed. Uh, but I just wanted to shout them out and know that uh, their families are in our hearts and prayers and that we wish all of them the very best with all this. Um, with that, we are going to transition into the kitchen for our hot takes of the day. First one, this is a big one. Who is the best wide receiver in NFL history? I will be arguing on the sake of Randy Moss. Alex will be arguing for the sake of Jerry Rice. Hit me with your hot takes. Jerry Rice, simply best receiver of all time. He played from 1985 to 2004. It's 19 seasons. That's a long freaking time, Robbie. He won four Super Bowls. He went to five. He went to one with Oakland where uh, Rich Gannon unfortunately could not tear apart. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The 
Buccaneers defense. But even in that game, he played reasonably well, had a touchdown from Gannon. And then not to mention all the stuff he's done in the Super Bowl. He was a Super Bowl MVP, 19 years of longevity. He has, I believe, the most touchdowns uh, in a season with 22. Um, he has, I don't know you on that one, but we'll get to that. Oh, no, I forgot Randy Moss passed it the year he had Brady. Never mind. We'll ignore that, but good call. He has 197 touchdowns, though, so that's 10-plus touchdowns a season for his entire career, and obviously he slowed down at the end of it. He has, you know, so many other stats. One of the best receivers of all time, that's unquestioned. They've never given the MVP to a wide receiver. But the year that he had 22 touchdowns, and that was a lockout shortened season, I like to, might like to add. They could have gave it to Jerry Rice. I don't know why they didn't. But Jerry Rice did so much for the league. He was an incredible receiver. The numbers speak for themselves. Randy Moss is obviously number two. But to even have a debate about the – best receiver and not say it's Jerry Rice is just asinine. So this is, this is interesting because I'm not the biggest fan of Randy Moss as a, as a person, but as a football player, I mean, even just watching towards the tail end of his career, I was just always so impressed. And we'll get to the real reason why in a minute. But first, just to rattle off some of his career accolades, 1,500 plus receiving yards, 156 touchdowns, <laughs> one I thought was kind of funny, 2,500 fantasy points in his career. <laughs> um, he played – a little less than 100 games than Jerry Rice did. Um, 100, game le- 100 games less than Jerry Rice did. He had the all-time high 23 touchdowns in a season in 2007, but he did pass Jerry Rice to do that. He okay. did have a season, uh, uh, and he had a season in 2003 where he had 1,600-plus receiving yards, which I just thought was notable and a uh, cool thing. But, okay, so here with, with Randy Moss and, and watching Randy Moss play and, and what I have to assume being Randy Moss must have been like was – he knew how athletic he was. You know, we have this term getting mossed, just, just a receiver just taking the ball away that, that he shouldn't have. He kept making some crazy play that made no sense. Randy Moss is literally the namesake of that. Randy Moss went into every single play knowing not only exactly how athletic he was, not knowing only exactly how athletic the player guarding him was, but how much more athletic he was than that player. Randy Moss could do things that no other player has ever been able to do. And just watching him do it every single play, making the harder cuts, jumping higher than everybody guarding him. I mean, it just, it looked unstoppable. And when he was given the right weapons, he really, really was. Yeah. And the thing is when he was a rookie, the year the Vikings almost went to the Super Bowl, if it wasn't for uh, Gary Anderson's missed kick, like that was Besides the uh, year he was on the undefeated Patriots of the Super Bowl, that was his best year. Like, he had great years after that, but his production sort of waned as time went on in the Vikings. Like, he was a freak his rookie year, still was a very good receiver, but kind of just kind of went on the downswing until he played with one of the best quarterbacks of all time in Tom Brady and picked up and now NFL record 23 touchdowns. Good fact check on that. I knew Rice had the record, but, yeah, I got broken. Randy Moss never won a Super Bowl, right? Randy Moss was should have won a Super Bowl with the Patriots, but is not a Super right. Bowl champion. I think had Randy Moss been able to break the barrier and win a championship, the argument becomes, I think, more cemented. Um, but I, I think another 
thing that's kind of hard to compensate when arguing this is that, like I said, Randy Moss played almost 100 career less or fewer games than uh, Jerry Rice did. So longevity really comes into play here. But also the fact that Randy Moss is relatively close uh, in all-time statistics in the, that many fewer games, I think is something that could be given to his advantage. He, you know, when he did play, he did play really hard. He definitely took some steps down until, you know, Brady helped him out. But I, I don't know if it's necessary. Like, that's kind of like saying Kevin Durant, uh, you know, took a step down when he went to the Warriors, but still won two championships. Like, like you can't really blame the player for doing the best thing for their career. Well, Robbie, I got some stats for you about longevity. And, you know, Randy Moss only played played less seasons than Jerry Rice. So why, why, you know, why is that an issue for him? Well, Jerry Rice, though, to name off some career records for him, he is the fastest player to reach 100 touchdown receptions with only 120 games played. Pretty impressive. He's the fastest player to reach 13,000 yards. He's the fastest player to reach 14,000 yards and fastest player to reach 15,000 yards. So I don't know, Robbie, even though Randy Moss didn't play the same amount of games, I think Randy Moss hit those accolades, right? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. But why, why didn't he do it faster? It'd be so much better. It's a very, it's a very good point. Um, you know, Jerry Rice, I mean, okay, so, so I think it's also uh, good to note that you don't have a best wide receiver of all time unless they have at least a good quarterback. Okay. Um, and I don't want that to be taken away from anybody, but I don't think it's a question that it took Randy Moss a little while in his career to get a true star, superstar quarterback. <laughs> Robert, he had Mr. Randall Cunningham at the end of his career. What do you mean? He, he did have Randall Cunningham. but and when- And can we not forget Dante Culpepper? Oh, I think we can definitely forget Dante. Yeah, that's probably unless, fair. Unless you're a Lions fan, you always got to remember the 0-16. But so, so yeah, no, I just I think had Randy Moss had a quarterback, you know, a, even not somebody at the level of Tom Brady, but like a, a more competent quarterback throughout his whole career, I think maybe the stats would have been more or less in, in, increased. But to your credit, the fact that uh, Jerry Rice did it faster than anybody else. I don't really know if I have a way to compensate even, even if he did have a better quarterback. So that, that one's to, to your credit. I don't, I don't know if I can counter that one. <laughs> yeah. I, but to be fair, Rice, Rice did have two of the best quarterbacks of all time. Well, actually, no, he had Joe Montana who was one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And he had Steve Young, who was a hall of famer. I wouldn't, yeah. don't know if anyone put him in the top 10 for quarterbacks, but very competent quarterback. And they had Rich Gannon, who was honestly a pretty reasonable quarterback, all things Good considered. Enough. Probably at the level of Dante Culpepper, maybe even better. Well, we will leave it up to you guys to see who decided, uh, who, who you won this debate. I think we've left it all out here. Anything else you'd like to say on behalf of this one, or should we move on? Let's get to the next one. I think the next one's going to be interesting. All right. So the next debate of the day is who is the best coach in the history of the NBA? Alex will be arguing on behalf of Phil Jackson. I will be arguing on behalf of Greg Popovich. The other names we would like to shout out are Red Arbach and Pat Riley. We believe them to be three and four. Didn't really think there was enough grounds to bring them fully into this conversation, but did want to give them the shout out. So you want to go first or second here? I'll go first because you started – or did I start last time? I'm going to be honest. I already don't remember. Just go ahead. All right. Well, Phil Jackson – I think the fact that he won six titles with the Bulls 
five titles with the Lakers speaks for itself. Don't let the fact he was a terrible GM fool you. He was a great coach. He was a pretty good basketball player. He knew the game. He helped lead a pretty dysfunctional Bulls team at times to very, very, very great playoff success. He led a kind of dysfunctional Lakers team throughout the years to very good playoff success and a few championships too. Player development, I think everyone really liked him as a coach, which I think is very important. You can have great success as a coach, but everyone hates you. You don't really have much to stand on. Phil Jackson was the guy who I think understood the balance of life too, whether it was being at the best and at the peak performance, as well as being happy with yourself and not, he will always want players to play to the best of their abilities. So giving people time off like Dennis Rodman, for example, when he needed it and really knowing how to deal with players and have interactions with them. That's one of those intangibles that makes it very hard to discount. And it's really a positive for Phil Jackson. That's not talked about compared to his actual accolades. So that's my argument for Phil. Talk about pop. Oh yeah. No. So well, to start my argument for pop, it really, really sparked this, this debate sparked in my head when uh, I was reading a tweet that said there was an NBA executive that said, if he was given the task of rebuilding the San Antonio Spurs, what would his first uh, move be? And he said, fire Greg Popovich. And I thought that was probably the dumbest thing a human being could have possibly said in that situation. Agreed. Uh, first of all, when you're talking about player development, there is no better coach throughout all time than Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich not only will draw out the maximum potential of a Kyle Anderson or, or, an, or an aged Rudy Gay, but he will find those gems of not just draft picks, but the foreign players in the drafts. I think everybody knows uh, how, how much Greg Popovich likes to draft the, the you know, second round, his second round pick as a foreign player. Patty Mills, Aaron Baines, Davis Bertans, all a Boba Morjanovic, all notable NBA role players that have started in the San Antonio system were drafted by Greg Popovich because he is somebody that is committed to not just doing the research of who is the best basketball player in America. He is committed to doing who is the best basketball player available for my team to pick up. And I think that's a very important piece of it is that he, you know, most of these, these Spurs teams that won championships were homegrown teams. They were, they were mostly guys that he drafted with the, you know, the handful of signings that every team has to have. Uh, so that first, as that part, the, the player development for Pop, I don't, I don't know if I'd say far superior to, uh, to Phil Jackson, but definitely a very, very high level. But then you have to start talking about the success. So he didn't, he didn't win as many championships as Phil Jackson, but he did win five, which if I'm not mistaken is the second most out of any coach in NBA history. Except for Red Arbach, sorry, third most to Red Arbach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to look at the talent level. So the Bulls were a top-heavy team. You know, they didn't have like the deepest, deepest of rosters, but they had you know two of the four best players in basketball, the best rebounder in basketball, and then some very, very good role players to fill in. Your Steve Kerr's, your Scott Burrell's, whichever year. Um, you look at the Spurs. You have Tim Duncan. You know, probably the most fundamentally sound basketball player of all time. You have and, 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 you know, the roster changes throughout some of the championships, but the core of it was either Tim Duncan and David Robinson or Tim Duncan with Manu and Tony Parker. The rest of the players on the entire roster, minus Kawhi Leonard, the last two, or last one, are role players. They're just pieces. You know, if, if you're playing a game of 2K, they're 78s overall across the board. But Greg Popovich, 
as, as a play developer and a, a coach who is very good at adjusting on the fly is able to know matchup to matchup, who he needs to play, how long they need to play and who they need to be guarding or guarded by. Phil Jackson did this to a very, very large or great extent, but Greg Popovich won championships that Greg Popovich should not have won. I mean, if you looked at the heat and the Spurs last year, roster wise, like they were pretty even, but star power, it was very clearly the heat. Like, like you had LeBron, Wade, Bosch, the other, I don't even know if San Antonio had an all-star that year, um, but they won in five games and they only lost game two by like two points. I think it was Greg, Greg Popovich just coaches his balls off when he needs to. And I, and you know, that, that is just to win with those lackluster of star power for the roster. You know, that, that to me is kind of, kind of makes up for the fact that he has six less championships. I think it's one of the coolest things, though, that he was the general manager for the Spurs, and he fired the coach. Instead of going out for a look for a coach, he became the coach. Yeah, no, that's badass. <laughs> that, to me, is awesome. And he had, up until this year, the record for most consecutive playoff appearances as well. Was it 19? I think it was 19, yeah. 19. That is incredible. I give Pop all the credit for player development, too. Phil Jackson had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. You can go on and on with the Bulls. They had a lot of great role players, Steve Kerr, uh, John Paxton. I'm just, I'm going to stop there because there's so many. Sure. But and with the Lakers, he had Kobe Bryant, Shaq, and there's a there's a million players I could name in the Lakers too. I think Phil Jackson though was great at really maximizing the greatness of his players, and I think Popovich was great at just maximizing players. Period. Phil was always great at squeezing out that last bit of greatness. Pop went in 2K terms. Pop took players from like 65s overall and made them 80s or even higher. Like Manu Ginobili being a second-round draft pick probably shouldn't amount to anything great, and he became one of the best European players of all time. Oh, yeah, maybe one of the best second-round draft, pick, second draft picks ever. <laughs> yeah, I would completely agree with that. Yeah, no, so, so I see what you're saying with uh, the difference in those two. But so my thought with Phil Jackson just becomes, especially after having watched the Last Dance documentary, how much of the drawing out and the, the intensity grabbing from the players was him versus Michael Jordan. You know, in, in recent times, we always have the debate of, you know, how, how much does LeBron James impact what the franchise does? It, you know, how, how, what, what, what coaching decisions are actually Frank Vogel versus LeBron James or, or, or whoever the coach is. That question became kind of prevalent in my mind after watching that documentary because from the way I viewed it, it sounded like Michael Jordan was kind of in charge of everything. Michael Jordan was the guy who made all of the important decisions about maybe not who was going to do what, but, but how it was going to go down. You know, what, what was going to happen and who was the personnel that was going to be on the court seemed to greatly rely on Michael Jordan. I, don't dis- I personally don't discredit Phil Jackson at all for that, but you, have, you, you do have to acknowledge that Michael Jordan being arguably the greatest basketball player of all time made it had to have made it easier for, for Phil Jackson to make some of these decisions. Oh, sure. hundred percent. I think Phil kind of went with the mindset where if he let Michael or whoever just sort of do their own thing. And then if things weren't going wrong, he'd reel them in and be like, listen, let's do this. He had that respect and commanded it from players where he was able to call shots when necessary, but he went for a hands-off sort of coaching style. And I think it worked. And everyone has different philosophies about, coaching and player development, but that hands-off sort of approach and style, I think really worked for both those teams. 
who had a lot of clashing personalities and very unique personalities. For the Spurs, the Spurs were more of a cohesive unit, and I think that player development and coaching, rigorous coaching was necessary in Pop's case. For the Bulls and Lakers with Phil Jackson, they had so many stars that they really needed someone to handle the personalities and really make sure that they got together they got together reasonably well and were cohesive units but he sort of just let them do their own thing until it was time to reel them back in you know i actually really like that point um that that is a very unique coaching style that i don't even think was necessarily the way he handled it with the lakers but you're right for those bulls teams you can't argue the success that they had uh, with the style of coaching Phil Jackson brought to the table. And just, just I do want to mention, though, uh, Greg Popovich, I don't know how unique it is anymore because players are kind of, you know, a lot of coaches have come out of the Greg Popovich system at this point. We see, you know, your Brett Browns, your Mike Budenholzers have, have coached underneath uh, Greg before. But this idea of, like, team camaraderie, like you hear a lot about, you know, Spurs going to team dinners or, you know, you know back when going out as a big group was legal. But of course. They, they, they do things as a group. They're – you know, they understand that things are bigger than basketball, that life is bigger than basketball. And, and that to them becomes the most important thing, because if, if you can't trust somebody off the court, you're not going to trust them on the court. Um, and I think Greg Popovich really stresses that. And based off the success he had, again, with the, the unimpressive rosters, I think that really showed that these guys just kind of knew where each other were going to be on the court. You could, you could always tell that they were a step ahead of the other team. And that really showed when, you know, they forced seven games against a superior Miami team one year and when they lost. And I very specifically remember a conversation with my dad the next year. He goes, so what did the Heat add this year? And I said, I, I don't think they added a whole lot. You know, they re-signed a couple of role players and important pieces. And he goes, well, what did the Spurs do? And I go, oh, well, I mean, Kawhi Leonard got a lot better, like pretty much should have been an all-star. And he goes, so how are the Heat going to win this series? And I'm just sitting there like, what do you mean? The Heat can't lose this series. I'm a Heat fan. They're not allowed to lose. And the Heat <laughs> lost in five games. I mean, the Spurs just outclassed them to be completely honest so so to and for me to say that about my team is is bad but no I mean I mean Greg Popovich has to be a lot to credit for that because at the end of his career Tim Duncan became a liability to be on the court and he wasn't quite a liability at that point but you have to credit him for for learning to play Boris Dia at the end of games to to play Tiago Splitter only when he could play to to let Patty Mills shoot 15 shots a game things like that I don't know if, the, if Phil Jackson would have let Steve Kerr shoot 14 shots a game if, if it was a matchup advantage. And, you know, those are the on-the-fly type of decisions that I, I, I really credit uh, Greg Popovich for in, in his long tenure as their coach, that long playoff streak and, and the five championships. Yeah, Jackson always inherited really good lineups and good rosters, Bulls and Lakers being the two prime examples. But that's really interesting about the, about the 2014 – NBA Finals, or sorry, 2013 NBA Finals, where what did the Spurs do? Oh, yeah, Kawhi Leonard got better, and then I, that can't be problematic. Oh, oh no, <laughs> no it's, not at all. It's actually terrible. That's, God, that's great. Uh, yeah, no, that was, <laughs> that was a tough Finals for me as a, as a kid, you know. That was a really fun situation to have the, like, pretty clearly best team in the NBA, and then to just see this guy kind of come out of nowhere and everyone's like, Oh my God, he can guard LeBron. And it's like, no, he didn't really guard LeBron, but it's like, damn, he did better than anybody else did. He's an unstoppable help. <laughs> uh, just that video of LeBron's face when Kawhi Leonard checks back into the game during the finals, I think says it all. He's just like, fuck. Kawhi Leonard's a freak, but oh, yeah. that's not part of the debate. Any final closing thoughts? 
nah, just uh, again, think I'd let uh, we'd like to hear what you guys have to the listen as listeners have to have to think who who you guys believe brought the stronger argument to the to the table today. But uh, definitely the two best coaches in NBA history. I think it's pretty pretty clear to state the success, the longevity, all of that just really goes in their favor. Moving Superlative in, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the better way to say it. Just get excited for superlatives. This is the best. This is the best segment. So <laughs> we are going to start out with the big one, I guess. I don't know the the easy one, the MVP, the simple one. Who was the best player, players, or team in this past week to you? My mind's pretty uh, new, and I like stimuli. So I got to go with Ivan Provorov of the Philadelphia Flyers. He scored the game-winning goal in game six. He is my MVP because he saved me another period of overtime, and I really didn't want to watch another period of overtime, especially with the breaks between them. They're long. So props to him. Let's go win game seven, Flyers. Let's go to the West, or sorry, Eastern Conference Finals. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good one. You know, we, we don't always, uh, you know, we, we focus on basketball and football here a lot, but we do try and uh, bring in the other sports. And that's, that's a really good name to bring up. So I like that one. Uh, my MVP. So here's what I wrote down after Jamal Murray dropped 50 to force game seven. I said, my MVP this week is going to be the winner of Donovan Mitchell versus Jamal Murray. And then Jamal Murray won. And I looked at it again and I was like, man, I just, I don't think Jamal Murray is better than Donovan Mitchell. I sure. Maybe the Nuggets are the better team than the jazz, but if I'm picking just an MVP as a player and, and for his team's success, I mean, Donovan Mitchell was hitting Damian Lillard type shots. Like he was stepping through a screen, taking a sidestep and draining it from five feet behind the line. He was jumping over people. And, but the, the biggest one was on defense. Donovan Mitchell is not usually a plus defender. He's not huge by any means, but the hustle that I saw, the hustle that I saw to him and Murray was, was exponential, but the hustle out of Mitchell in particular, he knew the role he played on that team. He understood how much of winning fell on his shoulders and to be a leading scorer in the playoffs in just your second ever playoff uh, uh, appearance that to me garnered more than lose, you know, giving the MVP to the team who won because somebody missed a tough three at the end of the game. So shout out to both of those players, but my MVP for this week is Donovan Mitchell. So moving down the list, we're going to go to the most disappointing. I always love this award. I got Pascal Siakam this week. Um, the Toronto Raptors, everybody, you know, you, you, I think, said this before, that the lack of star power was going to end up being the issue of if they could win a championship. And that has become very, very obviously true because they, they don't have a player anymore that they can just hand the ball to and say, yo, we're struggling, get us a basket, get to the free throw line, you know, dish out to the corner three for the open shot. They don't, they don't have that anymore. It's supposed to be Pascal and it's just not. Pascal's offensive array is very clearly limited. You know, he only uses very few moves and not very effectively. He's put up okay numbers, but the percentages haven't been there. The team's success, I mean, they won. They had to win one game in this series off a, off a fantastic shot, but a game they might not have even deserved to be in in the first place. I don't want to see another Tobias Harris, Al Horford situation, so it, I need Pascal Siakam to step up. But otherwise, he might be my disappointing player next week as well. Well said. Mine's got to be the Milwaukee Bucks in general. I know you're a Heat fan, and Eric Spolstra has dialed up some really great defenses to cover it, but I just can't fathom how bad they play compared to what they were used to play. Like, Giannis is still scoring 25 to 30 points a game, but he just does not look comfortable. They look out of sorts. 
Chris Middleton's playing better than last week, but it's still not enough. They're down two nothing in the series. I mean, they're game three tonight. I just really don't know what it's going to be like. I don't think Giannis is a quote unquote Scotty Pippen, as Richard Jefferson said, but I'm very disappointed because this team was supposed to just run the table in the East when Kawhi left, but they're yeah, really not. They're clear favorites. I definitely agree that I don't necessarily believe he's a Scotty Pippen. Uh, we, we can get to those tweets maybe in a little bit, but um, yeah. So I, I try to say as I'm very, very much trying to say as unbiased as possible, because I don't, I feel the more bias I get, the less likely the heat are going to be to win. I'm a little bit of a superstitious person, um, but I've been looking at, you know, the Bucks, they, they lost the game to the magic. It happens. They're a younger team, but there were, there were two main things that I was going to look for other than Giannis Antetokounmpo in this playoff run, because for me, the big story for Giannis was just does playoff Giannis actually exist. And so far the answer has been no, but the two big things were how deep their bench is going to be during the playoffs. And will Chris Middleton play like a superstar because you don't win a, a championship if you don't have an actual second superstar. You, you need that. So far the answers have been bad for the Bucks. Chris Middleton just moving is different. He doesn't play offense inside the three-point line anymore. He, he seems to want to take on this Duncan Robinson-type role. He was the guy starting the game on Duncan Robinson. The, Mil- the Milwaukee Bucks are being forced into having one player face guard Duncan Robinson, and they're wasting their second-best perimeter defender on it. I, don't, I can't fathom that other than Chris Middleton doesn't feel confident enough to guard Goran Dragic or Jimmy Butler. And then the bench. The bench, the Bucks arguably going into the playoffs have the bench, the best bench. And they're playing like, I mean, Dante DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton should not be playing in the NBA playoffs. Eric Bledsoe and George Hill are a great guard duo, but neither of them have the ability to make important shots unless it's a wide open George Hill three. Marvin Williams is a nice piece, but Marvin Williams was the number two overall draft pick that has never made the playoffs until this year or made the playoffs one time and got swept. This so-called fantastic bench, now has Kyle Korver as the only player I would reasonably bring off of it. And that is bad. They're not performing. I agree with you. They're not doing it so far in the playoffs. Nope. So moving on, kind of a similar award again, the unlucky award. What are your thoughts there? If it's not Mike Conley, I don't know who else. He had such a great look to win game seven. That shot probably goes in like six out of ten times. I just didn't. Yeah, tough. Rip. That's unlucky. <laughs> I, I had to agree with that one. Um, but my pick is actually the opposite almost. It's the Denver Nuggets. So not unlucky oh. that they won their series, but unlucky that they had one day off before getting absolutely dogged by the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, yeah, that was bad. 120 to 97. I, I do credit a decent amount of that to the fact that they only had one day off in between. But also, I don't think either of them or the Jazz – we're going to do Vodone to fare very well against this Clippers team. The Clippers are just way too deep. And again, we're going to start seeing a more human side of Jamal Murray because he's going to now, instead of being guarded by, you know, Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell, he's going to be guarded by Paul George and Patrick Beverly. And those are two of the best defensive uh, perimeter uh, defenders that we have. I, I wish Murray luck. I think he can still play well, but to score 40, you know, 35, 40 points per game is probably out the window at this point. Agreed. Moving, moving down the list, uh, heart, the heart award. Yeah. So the player or team that showed the most individual heart in an individual, you know, in a moment I have, so this is kind of interesting for me. I didn't really know who to pick, but 
there was a moment at the end of the towards the end of game two of Heat Bucks where Andre Godala got hurt. I think Kyle Corbett kind of landed, you know, defended and landed in his landing zone. He fell. I don't think it was a major injury, but he had to come out of the game. And Derek Jones Jr. was the the player to come in, you know, next man up type of thing. Derek Jones Jr., you know, he's a high flyer, but he's kind of skinny. You know, doesn't have a whole lot of meat on him. And when he, right when he got in the game, he committed a foul and two turnovers on three consecutive possessions. It was not making me feel very good. And then the next three possessions, two steals, a block, a fast break dunk, out jumped Giannis, baited Eric Bledsoe into a beautiful turnover. I mean, he, he completely took over defensively. And in a point where the Bucks were fighting to maybe even take the lead, the Heat didn't let them. Derek Jones Jr., the next man up, said no. That took a lot of heart to go up against Giannis and tell him no in the NBA playoffs. I got to give mine to Lou Dort. Ooh, it's hard like not that. to. Game seven, he had the tough task of guarding James Harden. Did a phenomenal job on the defensive side. He scored 30 points as well. And honestly, people want to get on him, the fact he turned the ball over at the end of the game. He actually did the smartest thing in the world where he gave his team another chance to score just because he threw it out of bounds. I, I know that wasn't his intention, but I still think – even that negative was still a positive for them and gave him another chance to win. But oh, yeah. that guy, I had not heard about him until this series. He was from Arizona, I believe was undrafted. And he was given the task of, hey, guard one of the, guard one of the best lefties of all time. Good luck. He shoots a lot of threes and scores a lot of points. And he did a phenomenal job doing it. You know, it didn't end in a series win, but props to him. Hopefully, big things are coming for him. We'll, be, we'll see him. We'll see him again, yeah. I think. Props to uh, the way a young guy was able to handle the, the scrutiny of dealing with shooting very poorly in games five and six. I think he was like 0 of 13 or something in game, uh, in game five. Probably had to deal with a lot of social media backlash and then came out and dropped 30 points and had to guard James Harden, like you said. That, that, that takes some heart. That takes some skill. So, yeah, that's a great pick for this week. Uh, Lou Dort, great job. Bad boy. The, the baddest motherfucker. I had Jimmy last week. I could probably have Jimmy every week. I don't, but who do you have this week? Well, this bad boy isn't like, oh, yeah, he's, he's like the bad boy, you know, parents don't want their daughters to date him type thing. This is bad boy, like, dude, you're kind of an asshole. Marcus Morris Sr. He was just literally just trying to hurt Luca. I gave him benefit of the doubt. I thought, okay, maybe he's just playing a little physical. But no, this guy was legitimately trying to hurt the wonder boy, Luka Doncic. I don't know. I'm disappointed. I, I think if Marcus Morris is on the Sixers, I would like him a lot more. But he was just – it seemed like he was trying to be malicious and really not – like there's no actual emotion with him and was really trying to hurt someone who's playing spectacular and was playing without another piece in Porzingis. So I give it to him, but not like a, oh, you're a cool bad boy. Like, no, dude, you're, you're – go away. Like, you're, I don't like you. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. There, there's no place for that in sports. Intentionally hurting people, you know, that's on the level of Vontez Perfect. I don't think anybody likes him anymore. So, that, that, yeah, Marcus Morris hopefully can clean up his act going into the next round against the Nuggets. We don't want to see anybody getting hurt. My pick for bad boy is a more positive uh, light on the award. It's Jamal Murray because he won the award. Uh, he won the series between him and Donovan Mitchell. He got hurt during that series. He fell. He, like, tightened his quad, it looked like. Um, but he played through. I, I think he ended up still having double-digit points. You know, he played and you know, dropped 50. But 
he was integral. He played hard. He played through pain. That is something that is very, very difficult for athletes to do, especially at that high of a level. I can only imagine that that's a bad motherfucker. That's a bad dude. He's hitting clutch shots all over the place. That step back pull up is lethal. Um, yes. So that, that is one bad man. Finally, our best moment. This was awesome. Do you want to, do you want to do this one? Yeah, we came to consensus. It's got to be the Raptors beating the Celtics in game OG. three. OG and Awabe hitting a clutch three-pointer with 0.5 seconds left. For no one who didn't see, because it was all over every piece of social media, all over any sports network, Kyle Lowry, who is just a hair over six foot, six one max, was being defended on an inbounds play by Taco Fall, who is 7'5 standing and put his arms up. So he's probably, give or take, 10 feet in the air. He's going to throw the ball over. The Raptors ran this great inbounds play where they managed to trick everyone to the strong side and they had OG flash in the weak side. Kyle Lowry had to throw the ball over Taco Fall, throw it across the court. It was a perfect pass to OG. Perfect. He shot the ball with 0.5 seconds left. Went in. They're not down 3-0, which is great. That shot was awesome. I screamed when it happened. I was so happy. So I don't have to hear any more Boston fans complain. Actually, no. I was very happy. I didn't hear any Boston fans get happy or be like, this basketball is easy. I love basketball. Go Celtics. Mm." Yeah, no, much better when Boston the brute for a little bit. Another notable thing about that play, Jalen Brown was maybe half an inch away from blocking the shot. He was, yeah. if, you, if you saw the one angle, he was a fingertips length away. A really, really tough situation. Um, the story I, that I actually just told Alex was that I was watching that game, kind of hoping I was going to find my moment of the week. And then Kemba Walker made this sensational behind-the-back pass, leaving half a second left on the clock uh, on a dunk to Daniel Tice, and the Boston Celtics took the lead. And I was like, oh, shit, I got my moment. That's dope. And then I saw that there was five-tenths of a second left, and I was like, wait a second, Robbie, don't write anything down yet. And OG – delivered so that consensus moment of the week og on half second game winner kudos to him kudos to toronto taking a, a game off of boston hopefully gonna try and make that series a little more competitive last a little longer even out you know both sides of the bracket so with that it's gonna bring our episode to an end today thank you for listening let us know who you believe won the uh the debates follow us on twitter if you haven't yet and uh wakanda forever wakanda forever Big things are coming, guys. Stay tuned. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. The football season is here, and you can track the latest news, odds, and information at betonline.net. And while stadiums won't be full, game action will be loaded. Which players will step up to lead their team? Is there still a home field advantage? Will offense or defense dominate these early weeks of the season? Follow along at betonline.net as the top teams in football begin their journey to Tampa. Available online or your mobile device. Check out the site today. Bring the game home at betonline.net. The football season is here, and you can track the latest news, odds, and information at betonline.net. And while stadiums won't be full, game action will be loaded. Which players will step up to lead their team? Is there still a home field advantage? Will offense or defense dominate these early weeks of the season? Follow along at betonline.net as the top teams in football begin their journey to Tampa. Available online or your mobile device. Check out the site today. Bring the game home at betonline.net.